Hey guys, welcome to the Swap Moto Podcast. I'm Don Maeda and I'm joined today by uh, my friend Brady Sharon from uh, the Great White North. And uh, I think uh, some people might not realize that you were a, uh, a professional racer as well, right? So yep. give me the uh, 50 cent tour uh, rundown on, on racing for you. Yeah, so I mean, I started when I was seven on a PW50 like, like most guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, raced all the years. I grew up in kind of the Villapoto Alessi area. Mm-hmm. And uh, since Villapoto was from Seattle, he was only a couple hours from yeah. me. So we would race all the time, arena cross from 60s all the way up. Okay. Um, and we were on Team Green together through our 80s, like when we rode 80s. Um, and just kind of progressed from there. When we were on 80s, he started doing like all the nationals, like the Poncos, Loretta's, all that kind of stuff back in the day. And uh, I started getting hurt. So <laughs> that kind of split yeah. our trajectory. Isn't it funny how you look at the careers of some racers and some guys eat shit and they don't get hurt and other guys tip over in a corner and break their hand or like yeah yeah just, some guys just get fragile and for me it was mostly practice crashes just yeah. innocent stuff nothing crazy but you know what it's like when you crash it can go bad yeah. really fast so i broke both femurs and my humerus and all, oh. all kinds of nasty stuff not at the same time but yeah that almost would have been better but <laughs> um so we did a lot of that so i started getting hurt his career was kind of taken off and obviously the the rest is history after that but um i got to race supercross race that for a handful of years mm-hmm. rode for some little satellite teams i was you know making every other main event type mm-hmm. thing but um that's about as far as far as i got and then 2009 was my last year okay after the recession kind of hit i yeah. mean you remember it was it was tough money was tight it was team spots were limited teams were going away um so it was just hard and uh then we had a business plan that we wanted to do. Um, so I had an out, which uh-huh. is, I think, uncharacteristic for most riders. Some guys yeah. kind of flounder on forever and yeah. they don't really know where they want to go. Uh-huh. Okay, and, so let me ask yeah. you this. Like, <clears throat> for instance, at Transworld Motocross, we had a test rider who was a very good friend of mine, Nick Paluzzi. You yep. remember that name? Yep. Nick had a Suzuki Rockstar ride yep. and everything. And it was just funny because at one point he's just like, I'm, I'm not going to cut it as a pro factory rider or you know like and he made this real mature decision like i'm gonna retire while i'm still young i'm gonna go to school for something so he went and got trained on this hearing aid industry or something and now he's killing it really that's awesome like even our uh one of our test riders here at swap model live renee garcia yep was up and coming you know aspiring pro gave it a 100 percent effort did uh east coast supercross this year didn't make any of the mains yeah and he called me one day i was like hey i'm I'm going to find a job. I'm not going to race. So like you made this very mature decision to walk mm. away from racing instead of dragging it out, dragging it out, dragging yeah, it out. Yeah. And I think it's hard because people get in this groove. It's all they know. They are trickling in a bit of money enough to kind of live and do their thing. You know, maybe they have some support from their parents still or sponsors, mm-hmm. but at some point, I mean, you have to look out into the future. And for me, it was like, I don't want to flounder on this till I'm mid thirties and start mm-hmm. a new career when I'm 40. Yeah. I, t- I just don't, want to restart life then that's just too yeah. late yeah um and was it hard to give up on the dream per se not really for me i mean i i got to a level which i was very happy with i mean that's the elite level of sport yeah. I got to race supercross experience riding in stadiums that was all fantastic um and because of our my dad's business in the industry for so many years you mm-hmm. know we knew all of you guys all the industry people i knew a lot of business people yeah. in it and i grew up in that you know, we'd be at, for example, like Mechanics Square with Jim Hale, um, RIP to him, when he was still doing Renthal and Axo, 
I'd go down there with my dad because they were business partners mm -hmm. and I'd see some of the meetings that were happening and things were happening behind the scenes. So I, I kind of had a bit of a background passion for it in a sense. And I knew that I could call on all these people to help whenever that time came. Yeah. I didn't realize it when I was you know, seven and eight doing that, uh -huh. but later that came in handy. And I think making that decision, like I said, to not restart a career when you're 40. I mean, that's really what you have to yeah. think about. It's not about yeah. today. Yeah. It's about where am I going to be after I retrain or reintegrate, whatever you want to look exactly. at it. And if you have an out and your career's not where you want it, I mean, take it. You're going to be way better <laughs> off. You'll, you'll be 10 years ahead by the time you're you listening. <laughs> so and I think some guys, they just get stuck. Yeah. And they, yeah. And it's, it's hard, so hard to give that up. I talked to my wife about that. It's like the, the little bit of fame limelight that you have, even at that level, mm -hmm. it, it's a bit of a drug. Yeah. It's hard to give that up. And that's what I see people chasing. It's like, well, no, I'm still at the event and you know, people like when I, it's like, dude, you're washed up. Like no one, mm -hmm. no one cares anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not what you think it starts. Yeah. I just didn't, I just didn't want that. It was yeah. relatively easy. Okay. So you went straight into Alice. Um, we started Matrix Concepts was the okay, first one. Yeah. So with Eddie Cole and my yeah. dad and him were partners with 661. My dad ran the Canadian one for many mm -hmm. years till they sold. And um, Eddie had really developed this Matrix business plan for his sons, his twin boys, and me mm -hmm. to do in, in Canada. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a second generation thing. It was, it was all cool. And he was kind of sitting on that for a few years because we were just too young. I was still racing. Yeah. His boys weren't old enough. Yeah. Um, and then when 2008-9 came along, we said, hey, we were actually on a vacation with them in Cabo with their family. And all, there was like 10 families. It was a whole big thing. Yeah. So we were down there sitting in the pool. And we said, you know, we think it's time. We think it's time to pull this out and do it. And so was this the launch of Matrix? Like, or had it been around a little bit? No, it hadn't started. This is okay, before we even started. The thing about Eddie, man, is he's such an amazing businessman, right? Like all the things he's created and he knows how to create a brand that seems big from the get-go. Yeah, right? yeah. he knows all the steps. He's been through yeah. it before and he knows how to replicate it even with limited funds or whatever it is when you're starting. Because I can remember when Matrix came out, right? Yeah. Boom, it was on Factory Cowie. Stands, yeah, we had right? all the teams like day I one. I just remember seeing it and going, is that, is that Stan? It's not metal. Yeah. yeah I mean, I was <laughs> tripping out, right? It's and weird. I thought it was the... And it's funny because if I had seen it on, you know, Barry Karsten Suzuki or something, I thought it was lame. Yeah. But because it was beneath a factory Kawasaki, I was like, dude, that thing. He is was trick. good at engineering the cool factor into the brand right away, and he had all these relationships with McCarty, Yamaha, and all, all these people, yeah. and all these teams from all the previous years that he was basically calling in favors, and there wasn't that much competition in mm -hmm. the stand market. You know, worse connection. He had all these people but no one really attacked it as a category with the teams going, yeah. hey, we're gonna either pay you or it's a favor thing or whatever it is. Yeah. And um, we, he really attacked that. And he had a whole, a whole plan and mm -hmm. we'll have your colors and we'll have this, it'll be different. And, and then the mats under the bike, which people had dabbled, but it really wasn't as prevalent at the mm -hmm. time. And uh, yeah, so like I said, we were in the pool in Cabo and we're like, hey, I think it's time to, to do this. <laughs> and during my last year of Supercross, I would ride during the week, do that, go home, and work on designs for products mm -hmm. and tweaking and doing things like that. So I was building foam core models of gas cans and you know, all kinds wow. of stuff. Like wow. while I was still racing and doing yeah. that, we were still developing. Okay, let um, me ask you this. You're saying you're designing stuff, yeah. right? I have dabbled a little bit yeah. in, in, you know, 
the illustrator stuff. stuff, but no, no, not even that. Oh. How did you learn that? Did you take classes or was it? No, so the, the engineer that started um, Matrix, he did kind of the original business plan. There was like five, mm -hmm. the five core products, stands, tie downs, mats, cans, and ramps. That was yeah. the five tenants of the business plan. He did the original designs for that in SolidWorks. And when we said, hey, we really want to do this, let's revisit those designs. And because I, I was heavily involved in racing and I had a, a knack for design, sort of like I, I was always passionate about that when mm -hmm. I was young. I just never had the tools to really do it properly. You know, hacksaw drills and doing all yeah, the yeah, yeah. shit in the shop that you do. Um, and so this engineer kind of said, hey, why don't you come over and I'll give you a little crash course. Oh, okay. And he gave me a pirated copy of SolidWorks. Uh -huh. And uh, he said, this is kind of the basics. And I knew I took shop class in school and I was like teaching the teacher because I was passionate and I was reading outside of school yeah. how to do some of these things, how to operate you know, a lathe or a mill or, you know, these different things. So I understood how the three axis works, how you're going to design and, you know, mm -hmm. that I just never gone through the motions yeah. of it. So he gave me this cracked version. He said, here's kind of the basics. And I literally just started doing it from there. And at first it was easy because I was doing, you know, helping with like mats or tie downs or little elements that are mm -hmm. really pretty simple, you know, engineering wise. Yeah. Um, and at the same time I started the Atlas project, but to really know, I had ridden with the other guys, you know, Lee at Alpine Star, and I just wasn't happy from a rider perspective. Mm -hmm. And now I had these tools to design, so I'm like, hey, let's just see if it's even possible to come up with something yeah. that makes sense. And that began that journey. But having, you know, the original brace that we did being one of my first three, four projects, really? self-taught yeah. in in an engineering CAD program like that, that's, that's a a daunting task yeah um so yeah I, I when i was 21 i would like when i was back at home after my supercross season i literally stay up till two three in the morning just iterating wow. and iterating iterating while friends are partying and people are doing other stuff uh -huh. and um yeah so i just got to work and put my head down but i mean matrix was rolling along we had already launched that in 2009 yeah um and atlas the product took three years before it was somewhere that made any sense to Okay. Okay. So when I'm trying to think of the year mm -hmm. and to age myself, I've been at this, what, 32, 33 years now. Yeah. So I'm thinking back to the first time I wore a Liat brace. Like mid 2000s. Okay. So like when that thing first came out, it was met with a bunch of resistance at first, then it took off. Mm -hmm. um, so you as a racer, were you competing in Supercross wearing a Liat brace? Yep. Yeah. So I rode, I wore that for I think if it was one or two years and then I wore Alpine Star for my last one or two years I can't remember the yeah. exact breakdown of when okay that so you had first-hand experience with it you had personal uh, you know dislikes mm -hmm. and likes you know obviously you're in for the protection factor yep but there was things about both that I'm sure you thought were clunky yep. and uncomfortable right mm -hmm. so then the wheel starts spinning in your head how could I make a better neck brace yep and uh, so yours was the first to come out with the independent things yep. on the back that don't mm -hmm. rest on your spine. Yep. Where did that come from? Like, did you consult some doctors or did you just think about the things that you didn't like about? So I half borrowed that from another person, but the, before it came out, you remember the Omega brace? Omega had the seat belts and it was the, the horseshoe yes. shape, yes. all that. Yes. So yes. before they came out, um, one of the guys, in the, I won't name names, but one of the guys in the US that was working for them he said, hey, why don't you try this? And this was like Vegas Supercross, I think, 
maybe 2009 before it mm -hmm. launched. Hey, why don't you give this a try? I'm curious what your feedback is because yeah. we've been industry friends and my dad knew him and all that. So I took that home to Canada after I left. I gave it a try. It had some good principles. Like mm -hmm. it sat around the spine, but it was connected. Yeah. It was very wide, but connected and, and it, it kind of sat on your shoulder. It was really kind of clunky. They, good idea, but bad execution. Yeah. Um, so that kind of sparked at least that's where the initial idea came from is something they did. And then mm -hmm. I went, well, I don't like that it's still attached. I don't like that they move independently. Because when you move your back and your arms like this, your shoulder blades move independently. Mm -hmm. So my thought was, well, let's mimic that. And the only way to do that is having it split. Yeah. So it was kind of an evolution of what they attempted to do mm -hmm. in a sense. And then with them, their front was open, but it was so open that you could wedge your helmet yeah. between the things. That. So that I didn't like and the fact that you know, if your head was a bit sideways and down, it could get in there. There was just lots of problems of it having a, you know, three inch gap mm -hmm. in there was an issue. Um, so some of it came from that. And once I found the spine part, I'm like, well, let's do the same thing for the sternum because that makes sense. Yeah. But you don't want to have it open. So that's where we separated the chest supports, but had a solid part over top. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, really just iterating from there. And uh, I actually tried um, a different system to begin with. I tried a complete floating one which is an interesting story. So it was, remember the old HRP chest protectors with the floating yeah, shoulder, yeah, yeah, the, how it had the, the netting, the net, but then yeah. it was above. Yes. I actually tried to do that concept early on in the iteration, um, but it, it didn't work. It failed because you could just, it would just kind of touch your shoulders when you went side to side. Okay. It worked straight down, but it didn't work like yeah. that. Um, so that was a funny iteration that most people had never seen or ever heard of. But I originally tried that because of, all the, the collarbone stuff and the this and that. And I was like, maybe that's a solution where you can just elevate it from the body and get rid of that. But yeah, yeah. big failure. <laughs> okay. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Like, you know, the neck braces came out, just boom, just like, and it, it was almost to the point where people would be like, dude, you, you don't wear a neck brace, you're crazy. Yeah. Right? It got like that. And uh, like, I, I'm a firm believer of <laughs> dirt bike racing is dangerous. Mm -hmm. So you should protect yourself as best you can, right? Sure. So um, I remember the first time I had a Leah brace put around my neck. It's like he's become one of my best friends, Jason McCune. Yeah. Right? He just literally, he was working for Leah Brace USA, and he just came up. I didn't know the guy. Yeah. And he came up. <laughs> we were at a ride day or something. And then he just sitting, put it on I you. I was sitting just like this talking to someone, and he walked up behind me and was like, and put it around me. And You're I'm like, thinking, Whoa. what is this? Like, yeah. is this some sort of like, you know, the, or the, what do they call it in the old days when they put you in the wood with your arm? Oh, like a... Um, <laughs> like a prisoner. Like yeah, that. how they log... I forget but what yeah, the name Yeah, I was like, yeah. what is this, some torture device or something? Yeah, yeah. But then they gave it to me and they got me to try it. And yeah, actually, I tried to wear it with a chest checker. Yeah. And it didn't work yeah. uh, for me. Like, it was fine, but as soon as I rode hard and was braking, it, the chest checker pushed the brace up, brace pushed my helmet up. Yep. And eventually... You learn how to adapt it. and Learn yeah. how to adapt to it. Wore it. <clears throat> I had a really horrific crash in like 07 or 08 yeah. where I was racing at Milestone and uh, the bike I was riding was pretty highly modified yeah. and it blew up going into the first turn. Oh no. And so I, I tucked the front end and I don't know why, but Milestone used to have a tractor tire yeah. marking the first turn. And I went head first in the tractor Nasty. tire and I was out for a few minutes to go ride that hot uh, emergency room. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is in my mind, I woke up like a month later. Yeah. But I was really up and I was functioning and uh, 
Like, do you remember that crash? Yeah. We made a big deal about it. Yeah, I remember so that it happened. The, the crazy that, yeah. thing is that I smashed my head in the tire and I was fine. Yeah. I, I had a brain injury, obviously, because yeah. I don't remember things. But I made this video talking about, oh, like neck brace and a great helmet. Yeah. Because I had a bruise literally shaped like Everywhere a neck touched, brace. yeah. Yeah. And uh, neck was fine. Yep. Um, so I've been a big believer in it mm-hmm. uh, through the years, unfortunately, you know, like, I've crashed a bunch and yep. I broke both my collarbones. Yeah. And I've reached a point where things are uncomfortable. Like yeah, got, people have bumps and things and yeah, that makes like, it like really, really difficult. Uh, yeah. Right here. But yeah. regardless, it's a product I believe in. Mm-hmm. People ask me about them. I go, hey, I think you should wear one. Mm-hmm. Definitely put them on your kids or whatnot. Yep. Um, but braces went skyrocket. Yep. Super popular. Other players came in the game, Alpine Stars, yep. Atlas, obviously. Yep. Remember EVS made that Dracula collar yep. thing and then the Omega? Yep. But uh, what is your opinion on why neck brace popularity has tapered off? I think there's a few reasons. One, when Liat came out, they created the market and, in my opinion, half destroyed it at the same time. So they came out and, number one, the product was, it was early. It was early in its development. It was the first of its kind. It, it had inherent issues, um, but brilliant first effort. Mm-hmm. And like anything, it evolves over time. The first car, if you were to drive that today, would be absolutely terrible. Yeah. So things just need time, and they need time in the real world to be around, have people's opinions, learn what happens. There's just some things you can't replicate in a lab. It's just impossible. So mm-hmm. they came on the scene, and it was like, this is the best thing ever. And it was like, rah, 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 big campaign. And yeah. then people wore it and they're like, well, why can't do this? And this feels like this and this. And then people's kind of excitement died off a bit because people get complacent too, yeah. right? When there isn't an injury for a little while, people don't get paralyzed, it's not in the news. It's like, oh, well, chance is low, you know, whatever. You start getting complacent. Yeah. So then, oh, we'll take this off because I'm not really comfortable or whatever. Mm-hmm. So part of it was that, part of it, I believe, was their marketing because they just went so hard at it, which trying to build a business, I get it. Um, But it kind of turned people off a little bit and they realized, well, this isn't really the best thing ever. It has some flaws. It's not this, it's not that. And then they didn't really change it. They made it lighter and they changed some materials and they did some stuff, but it didn't really ever address what the issues were, in my opinion, at least, that Mm -hmm. maybe they disagree um, and that's fine. But, it just wasn't what everyone hoped. It just had some flaws. Mm-hmm. Like I said, new product, that happens. And they also had no competition. So there was no one pushing them to do anything. It was like, well, this is what we got. This is what we can do. And you need competition to breed that innovation and to make things better for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alpine Star came along. They switched up some things that were a bit of a benefit and you know, different option, at least. Um, that let people learn and then um, with some other ones in Europe coming out that had some different ideas. And then when we came out in 2012, mm-hmm. um, that really kind of changed things because we had a very different philosophy, yeah. being flexible, splitting the spine. I mean, we kind of went like, here's six things that you've never seen that we think address a lot of the issues mm-hmm. that were out there. And then that really forced everyone to make some changes. You know, Lee had started splitting their spine a little bit. They yeah. started making it more flexible. They made it a bit more streamlined. Um, you know, they really started to make an effort to change that and all the consumers now are better off for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it just took time. I, mean, I even equate it to 
you know, when they were trying to bring seatbelts into law. It took 30 years, it took three decades to get seatbelts into law. They had all the proof in the book, they had all the science, here's all the data, and people fought and fought and fought against it. So that took 30 years. I mean, we're yeah. barely 15 years into, from the inception of these things. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just more time. And uh, the pros taking them off, I mean, everyone talks about that, but I don't know if you want to look at pros in this sport for your safety advice. That's not, you have to look at their end goal. What's their end goal? Well, they have a lot of money at stake. Mm -hmm. They're trying to win championships. They're on the bleeding edge of technology and what they can do. They want every advantage in the book. And one of the biggest things at that level is this. Yeah. If this isn't right, it doesn't matter how good everything else is. So, you know, if you're a guy that you got to wear your underwear backwards and put your left sock on first and there's everything out there. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen it with guys and oh, their yeah. little superstitions. So if they're at that level of things that don't matter, like which sock you put on first, you're going to bring a neck brace in. I mean, if they're just thinking about it, 1% mm -hmm. while they're on the track, that's enough to screw you up. Yeah. So they just try and rid themselves of excess that is going to distract them. And sometimes it's not about safety. Mm -hmm. And we run into a lot of issues as we're blocked from sponsoring. I, I can't even tell you how many teams because they have deals with Alpines are oh. someone that are head to toe. Yeah, so yeah. even politically, we're barred out from even helping some of these people. And yeah. we've had instances where those riders wanted to wear a product, but they couldn't mm -hmm. because of other team deals. So sometimes it's things that people don't even realize. It's not that they don't want to. Yeah. It's they're in a spot, and obviously the ride is more important than the one piece of gear that, you know, for the amount that we're going to pay or whatever, right? Yeah. So that's an issue. Um, then obviously there's competition. They have some of the guys. And then by the time you weed out the guys that don't want to wear it, it you, the people that like our short list of people we can go after. It's like getting yeah. shorter and shorter. Yeah, it's yeah. so tough. Um, but I think in, in time that, that might change. You know, we can talk, get into this later. But um, yeah, I think there's so many factors that, that came into it. But yeah. we're just one of those people trying to make the sport safer. That's a huge topic. Everyone's like, we need it safer, we need it safer, we need it safer. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm here. trying. Yeah. Um, I know it's only one aspect and, you know, I can't save your knees, your femur, your what, whatever, yeah. but I'm trying to do my part, you know, in a way that kind of happened by coincidence that I stumbled upon that I had some ideas. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying cool. to do. Hey, uh, Brady, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Sure. We'll be back for more. Hi, Swap Moto Live listeners. This is Alex Martin. At Arai, every helmet is handcrafted with dedication to pursue gains and protection, and that is exactly why I choose to race in an Arai helmet. This lifeblood of obsession with protection is driven by a single shareholder and runs through every person who builds an Arai helmet. This is what sets Arai apart. This is Arai. Who does Ken Roxon, Jay Sexton, Hunter Lawrence, Jet Lawrence, Mitch Evans, and four-time world champion Tim Geiser turned to for power. Yoshimura, since 1954. Since 2005, Risk Racing has been a leading innovator within the motocross industry, all while doing it in their own unique way. Whether you are looking for the premier motocross transport system, the Lock and Load Pro, or the EZ Utility Jug, the fuel can of choice for me, SGB Racing's Alex Ray, Risk Racing is there to be your go-to motocross shopping destination. Head over to riskracing.com today and see their entire product line. 
Use code SWAP at checkout to receive 15% off the entire purchase. Hey everyone, Don Moetta here. Over the past 20 years, I've built a ton of cool motocross project bikes. When it comes to choosing a great wheel set, my first call is always to the crew at WUSA. Importers and distributors of Talon, Kite, Han, and Edge Hubs, the wheel building team at W is unrivaled when it comes to lacing them up to DID or Excel rims. Let's be honest now. Next cleaning air filters or changing oil, tightening spokes is one of the most tedious jobs when it comes to working on a bike. When it comes to wheel sets from W though, you know that they'll stay straight and true and the spokes will almost always stay tight. There's a reason that factory teams and top riders everywhere rely on W. When it comes to anything wheel related, your one-stop shop is WUSA.com. Check them out. Hey, what's up guys? This is Connor Erickson, but you probably know me best as Buttery Films. Temecula T-Shirt Printers handles all of my merch needs and also services many other big players in motocross. Whether you're starting a brand or just want some team t-shirts printed, there's no one that does better work or has a service as good as these guys. Check them out online at TemeculaTshirtPrinters.com. Hey, this is Colt Nichols of the Monster Energy Star Racing Yamaha team, and I rely on Guiltless Food Co. to keep me fueled properly, feeling 100%, and is super convenient. It's healthy food that doesn't suck. Sign up at GuiltlessFoodCo.com. Out here, on the edge, failure is no option. Here, you don't compromise. Off-road, on-road, on the track, off the grid. Sunstar sprockets and brake discs come installed in more motorcycles and all-terrain vehicles than any other in the world, period. The engineers who design your bike trust and spec Sunstar for the same reason you should. Because here, on the edge, failure is no option. Sunstar, number one in sprockets and brake discs. What's up? This is Christian Craig. As a motocross racer, being in top physical shape is a must, and my favorite way to train is cycling. And whether it's road biking or mountain biking, I rely on Roy Cyclery to keep my bikes in perfect running order. Roy Cyclery has been servicing Old Town Upland, California since 1962. Mention the Swap Moto Live podcast for additional discounts in the shop. What's up, Swap Moto fans? The Toyota Escondido Action Sports Team supports some of the biggest racers in the sport, like Aaron Plessinger, Shane McElrath, Dean Wilson, Axel Hodges, Colt Nichols, Brian Deegan, and more. With over two decades of supporting racers, we've become known as the place to buy a Toyota truck in Southern California. Toyota Escondido is a proud sponsor of the Swap Moto Live Show, and all you have to do to get the best deal on a quality Toyota truck is mention the show and tell them you want the action sports special. Check us out online at toyotaescondido.com for more. Okay, welcome back to the Swap Motor Podcast. I'm with uh, Brady Sharon of Atlas. And, uh, okay, so we were talking about the decline or whatever. Uh, how popular or prevalent are neck braces today compared to back then? Like if you say you... I'm sure you don't want to talk numbers or whatever, but, you know. Yeah, that, I mean, the number I will talk about is our sales have never been higher. Okay. Leit's sales have been higher in the, the prime, but they're on the rise. Mm-hmm. They're a public company, so we can snoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Their sales are up uh, double digits, so are ours. Okay. So, you know, it's funny. It's, know, like, it's like motocross and supercross, I think, is the, you know, the glamorous 
leg of motorcycle riding and racing, right? Sure. And so it's like the, I don't want to say the opinion leader, but like a lot of trends are set there or whatnot. But it's funny because, you know, the motocross track, I'll say, okay, I don't see as many neck braces as I used to. Um, I've been dabbling in some off-road and riding with my buddies and, yep. and during the winter when it's nice and not dusty. Of course. But yeah, the group that I went with, I remember there was like, if there was 10 of us, six people had neck braces on. Yeah. So like, uh, what yeah, you it's like see, the reverse of yeah, moto. what you see on TV at the nationals is not necessarily a good representation of what's really happening, right? And that's what people don't understand when they say, oh, pros aren't wearing them. Yeah, but that's not the whole market. That's a sliver at the oh, very top yeah, yeah. of, you know, the best of the best where, like you said, off-road protection is very prevalent. They're wearing chest protectors, sometimes mm -hmm. even like level two, level three yeah. ones. They're wearing hydration packs. You know, it's a different sport with different needs. Yeah. And for them, hitting trees or hitting like there's a lot more obstacles involved. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those guys kind of understand it a little bit more and they got to ride for hours and they don't want to be beat up. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, the only trend I can go off is, is our sales and they're up. So somebody's buying them, Yeah. you know, which is a good thing for us. And um, almost thankfully through COVID, I mean, I feel like the sports had a big <laughs> resurgence. Even yeah, up in Canada, we're getting local races with 700 entries, yeah. which is unheard of up there that's like mm -hmm. our version of loretta's like the walton national that yeah. we used to have you'd get like 800 riders for that week of the biggest race of the year yeah now we're getting it on a local race yeah, just for no reason it, it's insane people were so i think a lot of it was like the covid thing shut down stick and ball sports right for so so kids and their parents Team wanted stuff. to get out and do other things mm -hmm. that were fun because i mean you know we have our amsoil swap motor race series yep I remember we would be high-fiving each other when we had a 500-something <laughs> turnout. Yeah. We're, like, on the cusp of breaking 1,000. That's and crazy. And we're a local race series, right? Yeah. And it's almost overwhelming, kind of. Well, to run that the day is, yeah. like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, thank God we have, like, the two-track format, and, like, yeah. our staff's awesome. But, but yeah, it's it's crazy how many people are out and about and buying things. and like. It's so that, nice to see bike sales up and people getting in the sport. I mean, that's fantastic i mean we really needed that you yeah. know after 08 when it kind of crashed a little bit it's like you know it was a little bit depressing there for a bit and i mean we started our first business in the recession which yeah. is a brilliant yeah, yeah. idea but um it makes now it's like it's exciting because it's like good it's we can finally mm -hmm. start to sell stuff and um really move through and yeah it's it's been great so. yeah okay mm -hmm. the big news tell me about the new brace and i have questions about the philosophy sure. and all that so yeah, so the Vision Caller, um, this was really, you know, a culmination of everything that we learned, you know, from when we started. Um, one of the biggest problems that we saw was people who wanted to wear neck protection but couldn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, in your case, it's injury-related, so it's, that's harder to solve. I'll but, say I can wear this, though. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But that's great. Um, th that was one thing that's hard to design around because everyone is different, so it, yeah. that's tricky. But I'm talking about the guys with really short necks, maybe they're a little bit thicker in the chest. Mm -hmm. um, helmets have been getting bigger and bigger, which I was going to bring up when you said, why aren't some people wearing them? Yeah. Because of the concussion discussion, that's hard to say, yeah. um, that's been happening, it's been making helmets bigger, yeah. the shells bigger to get more safety out of it, which has been bringing them down, mm -hmm. which makes it harder to wear neck protection. Yeah. So we've been playing cat and mouse a little bit with those guys. Um, so this was really something that came about to give people another option you know when we developed our air brace and Liat came up with their stuff everyone was like hey let's make the best safest you know the 
the crown jewel of neck protection. Well, that would be this tall where you can't well, move your head at all, right? And that's essentially what we did is, hey, we can't fully immobilize you, so let's back it down, back it down. Okay, it's acceptable, leave it there. Yeah. You know, and well, it was when like- when we tested the first Atlas Air, Yeah. I remember at Transworld Motocross, I wrote, this is the neck brace for the person that can't wear a neck brace because it's too high. Yeah. For restricting. So the first thing I did, <clears throat> backing up a bit, is I tried to solve all the problems with full frame braces. We made it flexible, we made it move with their shoulders, we had chest suspension, we made it light, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be enough to really get those other people on board. But after doing it years into that, we realized that the people with the short necks, the helmets, all the stuff, it still wasn't enough for them. Even if you lowered the pads, it just wasn't enough because they didn't have the range of motion to look up a hill, look down a hill, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where this vision came about. And I, I played around with the idea probably for two or three years before we came out with it recently. Um, and I said, well, what if we take off the front and the back and we only focus on the compression, which is the most compression deadly being force. Yeah, pure axle lawn loading. Dart. Yeah. Lawn dart. Yeah. Squishing and down. almost every accident that we saw was axial loading or compression coupled with my, something else. My tractor tire crash. Yep. Yeah. That was totally that because yep. the way I had that bruise. Yep fully the, the helmet exactly. went down into my body. And most of the crashes that result in neck injuries, it's like you're going over the bars, the lawn dart scenario, and you almost always hit the ground, ironically, at 90 degrees, especially if you're in a jump face or a berm mm -hmm. or something like that. But just your trajectory and how gravity works, that's kind of how you land. Um, so it, you're almost always experiencing compression, and, and then from that, your head might tweak to one side and then yeah. couple one of those other instances with yeah, it. Yeah, so in the, in the literature, it says the deadliest yeah. Or so. Yeah. Is there data on that or? Yeah, the, there was, I know Alpine Star did a big study with cadavers and when they were pushing their stuff um, in the data, they said like their spiel, because the, yeah. the rider rep at the time gave me the spiel when he gave me a product to try at yeah. the Suzuki test track. And um, he said, you're, you're much safer to have your head in any direction other than straight, mm -hmm. which data is more complicated than that that yeah, people can yeah. look up. but. The, those compressive forces are what cause the burst fractures in the vertebrae, yeah. which explode the vertebrae, and then those shards can get into your cord, and that's when really nasty stuff can happen with paralysis and death. So yes. um, a lot of people survive you know, whiplash scenarios or other things, or they break their thoracic, you know, one of the thoracic vertebrae, something lower. Um, a lot of people can survive those other ones, but the burst fractures, that's really the, the gross stuff. Yeah, so, so the vision collar was really a, combination of a lot of things we learned along the way with the air brace um, but the main thing was there was just so many people that wanted to wear a neck brace but they couldn't there wasn't an option for them mm -hmm. uh, it was too cumbersome big helmet short neck you know stocky build um, so I was thinking of ways to do that and the biggest challenge they had was looking up or looking down so mm -hmm. those front shelves so I said well what happened if we remove those and we just build it up over the shoulder like it is um, and do that and we knew from lab results and injuries and all these things over time that compression was the most deadly force, mm -hmm. what causes the burst fractures in the vertebrae and shards can go in your spinal cord, big problems. So we knew that had to remain and that largely over the shoulder wasn't a problem for people. It, you know, it's in the center of you know, the rotation of that fulcrum. So no issues there. Take the front and the back off, what happens? Well, it's actually pretty slim. It's mm -hmm. really light, it's less cumbersome, um, it could be lighter, and it, it kind of just started working where it saw, it just kept ticking all these boxes of solve that, solve that, solve that. Mm -hmm. 
so we knew we were onto something, um, and, and that was kind of the start of it. The the category itself only had you know the best of the best up top um, that solves every case. It helps in all directions. It's the the be all end all of neck protection. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the protection category, if everyone wore level three, level two pressure suits with arms and elbows and everything not many people would wear them and you wouldn't see yeah. any in supercross yeah so it wouldn't be much different than the category exists now so this was really like a front only chest protector mm -hmm. version of the neck brace category where it offers something that's slim it has one specific job it does it better than anything else that's out there um it's really easy and light and everything to wear yeah. um it can work with those bigger helmets it can increase the range of motion. It really just hit every mark yeah. of what we wanted. And um, to have consumers have another choice was was important, like I said, because there's people that want neck protection, couldn't wear it. So mm -hmm. we finally have an option for those people and they don't have to, you know, feel like they're taking unnecessary risk or, you know, whatever their, their case may be. Okay, when you uh, contacted me about this, say, hey, I'm sending you something, here's your, what's your address? Yeah. It's, it's big news and the neck brace I'm like you're not gonna what is it gonna be you know <laughs> so it comes it shows up I pull it out and I go man it's so small you know what, what could this you know because I I pulled it out and tried it on before I read anything right sure yeah so I'm like oh okay well what is this and I'm reading it and it's realize it's compression only and I think compression only go, oh compression like a turtle right turtle yeah, putting yeah. his head in and you know that's exactly how I hit my head on that tractor tire and that brace I was wearing then did its job yeah um, but I, I put it on, I'm like, man, it's so small and so little and everything. And it solved a problem for me because, uh, I've got two broken collarbones, two plates, and I've got these weird bone protrusions in, you know, the front of my neck. Yeah. And, uh, that's why I've quit wearing a neck brace essentially is because it hurts. Yep. Um, post-surgery. Yeah. So, uh. I was psyched when I got this. I was like, dude, I could put this on, I could wear it, and it yeah. doesn't, doesn't push on it, right? Yeah, it's something new. And mm -hmm. yeah, we have lots of people that have similar collarbone issues or they had plates, sometimes it's up here, sometimes it's down here, yeah. wherever. And I mean, that's just something that's really hard to solve for, you yeah. know, unless we're making custom things like custom knee braces, you know, but you know, th these aren't, we don't make carbon fiber models because they're, they're too rigid. They didn't work for what mm -hmm. we wanted and mm -hmm. these are lighter. Yeah. Whenever we made a carbon brace, it ended up being heavier than our plastic model. So I'm like, well, what's the benefit here? Yeah. It, it's stiff, it doesn't move, and it's heavier. Why would yeah. someone pay double for that? It doesn't, yeah. doesn't make sense. So um, yeah, for a custom product that could get around issues like yours, it would have to be carbon fiber or fiberglass. Yeah, it's just yeah. too messy. You know, it's funny because uh, Salt Lake City, the Supercross Marathon, the seven week one we had in 2020, I, yep. I was riding my mountain bike every single day there, and literally the last day, I hit a rock and a hidden in the weeds and went over the bars and literally lawn darted compression yeah. type straight into a rock the size of an ice chest. So the, that didn't move. Yeah. My <laughs> neck compressed, uh, compression fractured my C6, C7 area. Yeah. Had this insane level of pain for about 18 weeks down my left arm. Yeah. Cause I had a nerve impingement. Yeah. <clears throat> I immediately thought, dude, if I had been wearing a full face helmet and a neck brace, could this may not have happened, right? Because that yeah. was compression. Yeah. I'm lucky I didn't kill myself. Or paralyzed. Yeah, yeah, it could have been much worse for sure. So uh, following that, when I finally am cleared and okayed by the wife to get back on a bicycle <laughs> and start having fun, yeah. 
first thing I think is like, dude, I better protect my neck because yeah. three doctors told me to fuse my neck. Ooh. And the fourth said, no, you can do therapy in this. Yeah, I'll try that option. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing that. And yeah. it worked. You know, yeah. I, I'm, God blessed me. I was able to come back. I got yeah. the ability to ride everything to my full potential again. I got 92% strength back in my Did arm. you ever do anything crazy like stem cells? or did you No, do I just had uh, epidurals. Okay. Two epidurals, yeah. uh, decompression therapy. Yep. Um, a lot of physical therapy, okay. traditional stuff, and uh, a lot of gabapentin. Yeah. And nerve pain medicine. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, what the heck, I'm back, I'm having fun. Yep. So I was like, hey, dude, okay, I already know that, you know, this brace and this brace hurt. So I, I remember I reached out to you, hey, yep. Brady, it's done in my head. I like, yeah, I, I want to try I again. My neck, I want to try again. You were super cool. You sent me one, you put my name in on yeah. it. I put it on and I was like, damn it. Because yeah. it pushed right on the, the yeah. place that hurt. So that said, I was stoked to get this. Um, I put it on, I went to Glen Helen. Uh, like I was always a no strap guy, right? Because I, I like as little as possible. Plus, plus the straps, they lift and divide your man boobs. Yeah, I, the strap, that's that's a problem that I've yet to solve. Yeah. Uh, I've tried so many things and the unfortunate part is your body's kind of this triangle and where are you gonna hook, unless you wore like a Borat bathing suit job. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 it's yeah. either that or under the armpits. There's yeah. not a lot of option. And um, the best option for people with straps is either buy a chest protector where it's sewn on the shoulder, mm -hmm. or if you wear some, wear some kind of underneath something, yeah. have it attached to that. Yeah. That's the best case because you, you get rid of the armpit problem, yeah. you get rid well, of the strap okay, problem. That being can, said, yeah. I put this, the two straps on, yeah. and I was in the pits going, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but I went out of road, and A, I was stoked. I could, couldn't even tell neck braces on, and yeah. B, I got used to those things really fast. When you ride, you don't really notice it. It's when yeah. you're off the bike and you're yeah. just standing there moving around. You're like, ah, but then yeah. when you ride, your mind's so focused that it yeah. gets rid of that. But the, I understand people's complaint about yeah. that. I just, it's just a tough thing to engineer. Like I said, mm -hmm. there's only so many, so many options. You don't really want a full body harness going on. Yeah. But, but then I took them off. Right. Yeah. And I went and I rode and I raced the Trans Am in this thing with no straps. Yep. And never felt it once flop up and hit the bottom of my helmet or anything so like i'm, I'm stoked on the thing right yeah. so i wore it and i've since uh started to wear it while i go to the downhill mountain bike park yeah yeah you know, i wear a smaller helmet there mm -hmm. but still it's a full face and everything sure. and it's like man yeah i lawn dart on my mountain bike and broke my neck once i don't want to do it again right yeah especially at a mountain bike park where you're going faster <clears throat> so never know yeah i think i think it's a cool product and uh i was telling you earlier off camera that I posted a picture of myself the first day I wore it and the first comment was no not the toilet seat I yeah was like, dude come on it was funny when but, Rhino and stuff back in the day when people were calling it a bear trap original mm -hmm. I, I I was thinking about calling this one a mouse trap <laughs> just, yeah. just to piss people yeah. just to yeah. create conversation and whatever obviously that yeah know, but it's, it's, a it's a serious thing but it's fun to make light for and, the uh you know the keyboard warrior guys i got to talk shit like instantly not the toilet seat yeah i got nine maybe ten dms from people like hey what do you think about that what is that brace yeah and actually that was before the embargo so i was like yeah. oh it's something new it's yeah. coming i was just checking it out because i didn't expect people to see it like that in the photo right? yeah because i was wearing a black jersey and yeah but i i answer most of my dms that are legit questions and sure. i get a lot like even before this, like, why did you stop wearing a neck brace? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what do you think about it? And it's like, 
I say, hey, motocross is a dangerous sport. You know, you, don't, you shouldn't have to wear a helmet if it's not dangerous. Yeah. So uh, I believe in protecting yourself and your loved ones as best you can. Um, personally, I broke both my collarbones due to a lack of skill. And I've had surgery and I've got yeah. plates. And the reason I don't is that it's painful to wear. Yeah. It's not because I don't believe in it. It's not believe I they think I'm going to get hurt because of it. Sure. It's not because I think I'm slower because of it. Yeah. It's just, it hurts. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. And like I said, those edge cases are very difficult to solve. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, injuries are such a prevalent part of our sport. Uh, I've broken the collarbone before. I was lucky enough to where it wasn't, it was a pretty clean, easy, yeah. easy thing. But um, yeah, lots of people have similar things. People have broken sternums. People, there's all kinds of crazy stuff mm -hmm. that have happened. Um, so we try and do our best to work around that and massage the product the best we can. But yeah, edge cases are, are difficult. Yeah. But uh, I think you're onto something with this because it's by far the most comfortable thing you can wear. Mm -hmm. You know, like really, you can't tell it's on. Yeah. Uh, even, it's funny because I'm a chest protector guy under my jersey sometimes yeah. and sometimes not. Yeah. But when I don't wear it, I've got this Alpine Stars uh, downhill mountain biking bib. Mm -hmm that has a slot in the back for a big piece of D3O that goes over your spine. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? So I always try to protect my back, right? Mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, it's important. So with and without, but this works with a full plastic chest checker underneath my jersey as well. Yeah, that's good. And on a note of protecting your back, a, a little feature I can point out here that's on our air brace as well that a lot of people don't know about, we don't even talk about, frankly, is this gap in the frame right here on the air brace, obviously it has the wing, but yeah. that gap right there is meant to go around your vertebrae. So mm -hmm. if you have an accident where the brace gets pushed into your back or you land on your back, it, doesn't it actually, the impact. It actually it fits around those bones. Yeah. And if you had a closed ring, it's gonna hit those bones. Yeah. So that's a little micro feature that we get out of having it split. Mm -hmm. um, and that really just goes to show, you know what, when we developed it, I wanted to help obviously the spinal, the neck injuries, mm -hmm. but what happens after that? Because people were talking about, oh, I broke my collarbone. And you can debate that myth, but it's not relevant. Yeah. But yeah. in this case, I just wanted to solve what's every possible scenario that I can look at that's going to prevent any kind of secondary backlash yeah. out of this. So having those cutouts going around the collarbone, around the sternum, around the spine, it's all just things that help, help correlate with that. And I mean, even down to little stuff that, you know, this strap system, just engineering this was a very difficult part because we couldn't build a stick that came out because it would dig in and hook on your sh hook uh -huh. on your helmet. We can't build it down because it's going to dig in your shoulder. We yeah. can't build it up because it's going to get caught in your helmet. How the heck do you put a strap on there? Yeah, that was difficult. So this little system we came up with, it's on a hinge, so it can actually rotate. So when you have an impact, it actually rotates up out of the way, so it doesn't dig in your body. And then it remains the top is flush, everything's smooth. Yeah. So even little things like that that you would never think of, it's like, well, just put a strap on it. Well, <laughs> okay, but yeah. So things like that take a lot of a lot of thought, and we put a lot of time into working around that. Mm -hmm. Okay, one of the uh, largest critics of neck bracing, and now knee bracing, and like soon to fall, I'm sure helmets, goggles, and boots. But Ryan Hughes is very against neck braces. Um, I've heard him say it doesn't allow you to move properly or whatnot. Yep. Um, address that. I mean, on a large part, I agree. That's why I came up with this. You know, the, like I told you earlier, when, we, when I raced, I, you know, I wore a lead, I wore an Alpine Star, and my thought was, I can't do what I need to do enough. It's close, mm -hmm. but we need to tweak it. 
So, you know, 10 years before he started saying all these things, I was already thinking this as a rider, and mm -hmm. most riders that wore them had a similar feeling. They just weren't going to act or whatever it was on it and make something because of <laughs> how, how difficult that is. But he, uh, he's right in a lot of ways where I agree your, your body position should be correct. Your technique should be correct. Your gear should fit correctly. But there's no reason you can't have all those things and wear a neck brace. But it comes back to the fit issue. You know, mm -hmm. you see some kids at the track and they look like a Michelin man. They can't move. You yeah. know, that, that's not right. I would advise them, make changes to your setup because you don't have enough freedom to move on the bike the way you need to. Mm -hmm. An adult, same thing. I mean, you see a, a kid that's too short, but he rides an 80. He can do it, but mm -hmm. there's some, he can't touch, he can't, he's tiptoeing on the ground and, you know, there's some things that don't quite work and how your gear fits is no different. You know, people need to be educated. They need to know how it fits. They need to make sure they can move properly and they're not too encumbered. Mm -hmm. um, so he's right in a lot of that aspect, but it just falls apart on the bear trap doesn't work. But, you know, it, it, it gets too far. Mm -hmm. You know, if he just stopped, is all these things should fit right so that you can move this way and then we're good. Everything yeah. else after that's your choice, you do what you want. Yeah. Um, there would certainly be less liability on him to say something like that rather than convincing people to take it off. You know, if I was a parent and my kid listened and then got injured, I'm going to be yeah. pretty mad. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, on the data side of it, to me, it's just irrefutable. Mm -hmm. We have lab data. Other companies have lab data. For the most part, it all matches up. It's all very relative to each other within one or two points. Mm -hmm. um, we have that Great Lakes EMS that did that beautiful ambulance study over 10 years, 10,000 accidents. Small people, big people, big bikes, little bikes, sand tracks, hard pack, every variable was accounted for mm -hmm. in that study. And that's the interesting part about what makes the data so good. People go, oh, what about sand? Or what about this speed? Or what? It's all built into that. And that's the beautiful part. It rules out all of the bias and just looks at the raw numbers. You know, in a lab, when we test, we have to distill those variables down to the micro amount to this repeatable scenario to where we get accurate numbers. Yeah. If yeah. we just throw some guy and measure it and throw him again and measure it, you, it doesn't even correlate. You can't yeah. even yeah. compare the data. So we need to be hyper-specific when we test. And we can test different scenarios, but they can't have all these variables. And in the real world, it's kind of the opposite. You just open the doors and you have every variable. And the only way that data is valuable is over time with enough accidents. Mm -hmm. If you look at any scientific study, you look at any scientific study over 10 years with 10,000 instances, that's a significant yeah. scientific study. You know, that's taken very seriously. That's very difficult data to gather. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, it's just so important. And the fact that it correlates with our lab data, to me, it's hard to disprove that. Mm -hmm. And these guys on the internet that talk, you know, they're, all they can do is attack our data. They try and poke holes. Oh, well, you paid for it, so it, you, you manipulated it, or you mm -hmm. did this, or you did that, or what about this edge case? And if you want to poke holes in the lab data, okay, yeah, we funded it. You know, no one else is going to fund it for us. You know, yeah. we have to do our due diligence and yeah. test the product. But when it starts correlating with what everyone else did, and then you have this real-world thing that backs it up again, mm -hmm. it starts getting difficult to poke holes in it. You know, it's just, it all lines up. Mm -hmm. And for the people that try and poke holes, 
that's all they do is, I don't like that that you did. But they don't go, here's something I found that proves otherwise. Yeah. You know, because in the scientific or like if you're trying to test a, a drug or a something, it's like you're going to have, oh, they had this reaction to it. Maybe that, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this, you know, I welcome anybody if you have access to lab data, you know, significant studies or anything that point in the contrary, please show us. I don't, we, we, I would love to see them just for my own knowledge. So maybe I could look at that and go, hey, we need to make this better in this way. It tells this story, whatever, right? But they can't even produce one of those studies because to my knowledge, they don't exist. Yeah. You, you have anecdotal, you know, my friend crashed, he got paralyzed. This, you know, things happen, but I mean, you can still get paralyzed in other ways. You know, if your head twists around, you know, exorcist style like that, <laughs> you break your spine. But there's nothing we can do about that. This yeah. device can't help it. There, there are cases where it's a real problem, um, and uh, people are still going to get injured. I mean, we're doing our best job and putting our best foot forward, but it's a dangerous sport. Yeah. It's happened. That, that, and every crash is different. You don't crash the same way twice. Yep. You know, and so it's impossible to guard against every crash, but one half guard as best you can. Yeah, and that's our philosophy, right? We're doing our due diligence in the lab, being backed up in real world, in real world examples, and we think that's pretty powerful. And we wish people would, you know, just look at the data, forget all the opinion and all the noise around it. Just look at the numbers and decide for yourself. Um, and anyone out there that has questions, concerns, anything like that, please. Email us, email the other companies, search stuff on Google, you know, but if you're going to make an informed opinion about something, search both sides. Search yeah. why is this good, why is this bad. And that goes for anything, political or whatever yeah. you get into. Search both sides so you can at least understand both perspectives and make an informed decision. And in the case of Rhino, I mean, he's unwilling to look at our side. Mm-hmm. You know, Leah's invited him to their place in South Africa here. Come down here. All expenses. We'll take care of you. Yeah. We'll show you everything in person. And then you can take it from there. But if you're refusing to even look at that, that should tell people what that means for that opinion. It's, it's just that. It's an opinion. It's not a. It's not something based on fact or even willingness to accept anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. It's difficult to take people on the internet. You have to take it with a grain of salt. But I think a lot of people, they... They get in these echo chambers of things that they like, you know, no matter the topic, and it just kind of reinforces their belief, and it creates this, you know, this wedge between people, this bigger divide. And I wish more people, you know, just in life in general, seek out both sides, get all the information, and then decide for yourself what you want to do. And even just humanity would be better off, you know. <laughs> U.S. as a country, Canada, we have our own problems. Yeah. Um, I, I think that. That's what people need. We have access to so much information. It's yeah. all out there, but we got to get it. Yeah. Well, hey, man, uh, congratulations on, A, you know, transitioning to an amazing career post-racing uh, and also helping give back to the sport. You know, that's ultimately what you're doing. You're helping make the sport that you love safer for those that are willing to try <laughs> look at it and make it safer. But, uh, yeah, people always talk about, how are we going to make this safer? And we're going, hey, I'm trying. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. people like to shut it down, but, you know, we're, we're doing our best. Uh, us and other companies are doing our best. And, you know, having choice and competition raises the bar for innovation. And, you know, uh, yeah, 
just happy that the category has progressed and we can have some options and consumers are so much better off than, than we can push them. Yeah. Okay. Prices. One ninety nine for the uh, our new vision collar. The air is still three twenty nine. We have our kids models type prodigy roll, um, cascading price points for everyone, so it's super accessible, they're super lightweight. Um, we've tried to solve every problem that we can as far as wearability and comfort and mobility. Um, yeah, we're just trying to do our thing, just keep keep improving. Okay, so on a personal level I would say if you are concerned about protecting your neck, uh, and have tried other neat neck braces, they didn't work. I encourage you to try this one. Uh, can't feel it. Yeah, that's that, that's our goal. A little bit of peace of mind on the starting line. Never yeah. Ready, right? Yeah, exactly. A lot of people had a bad taste in their mouth because they tried one of the very first ones. Yeah. But that'd be like trying a Model T and be like, no, nah, Teslas aren't any good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things have come a long way, so I, I encourage anyone who's out there that tried something very far in the past. Take another look at it. Look around, go to your dealer, try them on. Uh, They've come so far. It's night and day difference. I mean, even our air brace to our original brace, literally half the weight. You know, just our own progression in our own time has been huge, never mind the entire picture. So take a look. I promise the experience will be be different. Well, hey, Brady, thanks for uh, making the trek down across the war. I know it wasn't easy. But, uh, yeah, guys, uh, thanks for watching slash listening. I encourage you to uh, visit swapmetallive.com and also analystbrace.com. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.